3: Hello and welcome to the MMQB NFL Podcast. I'm Gary Granling, And I'm Connor Orr. Connor, we have a Super Bowl. It's the Super Bowl of Super Bowls, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, We're going to give a quick preview of that one, but uh, we have some Sunday games to run through, some conference championships, and as we've done in the past, we are going uh, in reverse chronological order, starting with the uh, with the second game, and then working our way back to the first, much easier to order this show than uh, than past ones. But uh, let's start in Kansas City, where you were not on Sunday. <laughs> yeah. Just just to be clear, you're at a game, but uh, in case you forgot, you were not at this game, uh, where the Chiefs, with a slightly, just slightly hobbled Patrick Mahomes, finally get the better of the Bengals here.
4: Yeah. Um. I, it's hard to. It's hard to say that this game wasn't at least somewhat marred by the officiating, but I don't want to take, I don't want that to take away from what was a really incredible performance and a really gutsy performance from Mahomes. I think that, you know, we all talk about, well, these guys need to be able to play through injuries because that's part of their job. But if anyone has ever tried to run on a high ankle sprain, uh, it really hurts. and, if ever if anyone has ever tried to run really fast or laterally on a high ankle sprain, it's even worse. And so, uh, like, like imagine um, uh, you and I, Gary, are of a certain age. Uh, you're a little bit mm-hmm. different in that you're an ageless basketball player. <laughs> um, your your style of basketball <laughs> transcends what is on your birth certificate. Yeah. Um, no, uh, I you, think that's that's true. Yes. You you are a sharpshooter. Always have been. Um, dangerous from anywhere on the court. Uh, I, whenever I go to play basketball, it's sort of a physiological event and my body gets very (laughs) nervous for that. I'm very used to linear running. And if we have to go side to side, there's a lot of preparation that needs to take place there. And inevitably five seconds in any pickup basketball game, right? I'm going to sprain my ankle. And then you can't just leave Because, you know, you gave your friend a ride there or whatever, and so you just figure you're going to gut through it. And that's a very minor example, but that really hurts. And so what Patrick Mahomes is dealing with is like 50 times that. And we, we all thought they would have to go quick game. And yet some of his best touchdowns were classic Mahomesian extend the play, fake step up in the pocket, and then just shoot one over the middle. And it was it was incredible.
3: Yeah. Uh, first of all, I like the idea of your body. It, it just is like a self defense mechanism. Just spraining your ankle when you're standing still on the basketball court. Uh, <laughs> but back to the actual football game here. Uh, yeah, it's it's a great ball. What I think you were missing in this game was uh, you know the ability to basically extend the play and then launch the you know whatever sixty yard uh cross field pass that you would normally see from Mahomes, which wasn't a huge part of their offense this year anyway, but uh he was certainly moving around enough, more than enough, uh, to to make this thing work. Uh, you know, he probably missed like two or three throws that he would probably normally hit. And it probably had something to do with the ankle and, and planting and throwing and that sort of thing. But uh it was a fairly Mahomesian afternoon. It it, it kind of You know, if you didn't know about the high ankle sprain, you probably would have watched that game and been like, huh, he seems a little bit bit off. Seems like he tweaked something, but uh, seems like no big deal, and he's going fine. Do you
4: want to know uh, uh, what, very specifically with the Chiefs, really um, raised my alarm and uh, I, I thought was fascinating? Because we've seen this attempted by a couple of teams now and nobody's perfected it, and nobody's good at it right now. But mm-hmm. it was a, um, it was like a second and 11 throw to Travis Kelsey in the first <laughs> quarter where yep. he throws it to Kelsey, and then Kelsey immediately turns. So you could tell it was designed. He immediately turns and pivots to Jarek McKinnon like he's going to rugby lateral the thing. Um, there are so, not so many. There are folks out there who do believe that that's going to be kind of, you know, 10 years down the road right that's going to be commonplace in the nfl and Mm. it's it's going to look weird now but like that that's a thing that's going to happen and um i think it's very very like wild if because the chiefs have all these good skill position players and if they were able to take some of the pressure off of kelsey after the catch and allow him to get the ball to like Jarek McKinnon, or if Clyde edwards hilaire is healthy for the Super Bowl, or Isaiah Pacheco, you know, like that would be that would be really cool. And you're essentially baking in an extra five yards after the catch every time.
3: So that's incredibly, legitimately interesting that this is a possible long-term trend—not long-term, but but you know, long-term thinking trend in the NFL. Uh, and it was. I, I think there's two ways you could read that play. Number one, it, to me, it was kind of like, huh, they're running the hook and lateral. Is is this sort of early desperation here? Is this the old... Uh, I always think back to the old Patriots teams where whenever Tom Brady went into a game when, like, Ronkowski was out and Edelman was out and it was like Danny Amendola and then, like, I don't know, just, like, six dudes they brought in from the parking lot playing receiver, they would run a lot of gadget stuff and a lot of weird stuff because it was like, I don't know, there's no other way we can actually... <laughs> move the ball here. So there's a bit of that. It, it's, you know, it's a, it was a low risk play. I mean, the lateral was terrible and it was still really nowhere near a turnover. So right. I'm, I'm open to your, uh, just mad ravings at this point. <laughs> you might, you might be right here.
4: Um, yeah. Um, I, uh, well, you know who um, – uh, I believe it was – well, Adam Kilgore is a writer for the Washington Post, is really, really uh, good. And I think it was a couple of years ago, he went down to Arkansas uh, for Kevin Kelly, the high school coach who never punts. Yep. Um, and um, that was Kevin Kelly's thing. He's like, well, the next thing I'm going to do is this. Like, that, I'm going to figure this out. And um and we're going to play rugby style football and i don't think it ever really came to fruition but we have now seen legitimate attempts at making this work on several different teams at several different times this season and i do think that there's a legitimate curiosity there
3: you know man that would be pretty cool yeah it'll really mess with people's fantasy scores though yes so uh, again this was to be clear, an impressive win by the Chiefs. Uh, I, I thought they were the better team in this game. Uh, it was a weird game. Protection held up for Mahomes really well. Uh, I think you could also maybe, <laughs> maybe cite the fact that there were, uh, Constant holds, usually multiple holds on every snap. But uh, Mahomes was mostly clean and had time to operate in the backfield here, and that was obviously a huge deal when you're dealing with a guy who is is hampered. And everything just kinda worked well enough for them. I and you know, you'd think in two weeks he's probably going to be pretty close to hundred percent, probably as close to one hundred percent healthy as any quarterback would be this time of year. Yeah.
4: One more note though on the laterals. At the end of the first quarter, Kelsey faked it again to Noah Gray. Did you notice that? Yes. He f- it's so I don't know, they're trying to set something up here. That's what I'm saying, you know? Are you trying to put a little put a little bread and butter here out there just for the Eagles to look at? I don't know. Yeah. Um but yeah, so I noticed and I would be interested to get the um, you know, I wasn't able to chart this one because I wasn't uh, you know, I was uh, working at the Eagles game and uh, and so I haven't had time to to go back and chart this one. But I would be interested to see the total blitz numbers from the Bengals because I do think they started sending guys. I, I saw a couple I saw like a couple linebacker blitzes like I, I wonder if they you know, they're at like 13 percent is usually their blitz rate. So one out of every like 10 or 12 snaps, I'd be curious to see how. If they did that any more frequently against the Chiefs on Sunday, uh, you know, but uh, I don't know. It's uh, it's one of those situations where the formula has worked so well for so long with them specifically against Kansas City. And what a time for Mahomes to sort of beat them at what they do best defensively.
3: Yeah, my unhelpful guesses they were I, I think they were probably around that I feel like they didn't send guys very often in the first half and they sent them more especially early in the second half uh, when it seems like they had a little bit more of a bead on on what the Chiefs were doing but you had the feeling and oh boy so Kadarius Tony went out with an injury. Mikko Hardman came in with an injury and left with an injury. Uh, no Juju Smith-Schuster in uh, for most of this one here. The Bengals were looking at these Chiefs receivers and saying, okay, well, this is not going to be an issue matching up here. Obviously, they doubled Travis Kelsey for most of the uh, last three quarters of this game. But it just felt like they probably thought they could just you know, when, when the battle in coverage and they were probably correct to think that, but it ended up being just too much time for Mahomes to, to operate again because of good pass protection and because of a lot of, uh, uh, possible holding the,
4: <laughs> <laughs> the refs in this game. Can we talk about them for just a little bit? I mean,
3: uh, yeah, we should do t- This was a uh, look. None of these are necessarily great weekends for officials. Uh, I don't know if you've ever come out of a a playoff weekend and been like, man, what a well-officiated weekend. So I feel bad piling on, but it was a bad weekend. It was a bad Sunday for officiating, uh, not only because of incorrect calls, but just the the administration of the games were really, really bad.
4: So in back-to-back weeks, I was in Philadelphia, and uh, last week, a chain broke. Like the actual first down <laughs> chain broke, uh, and then this week they the referee had to come onto the field and say, uh, "We are not sure whether the ball hit the wire on the punt. Like we just yeah. don't know." And it's like, how is this happening? And you know what blows my mind is. You know, you know, that is secondary, but it it just gives this this sort of appearance of an officiating jalopy just plodding along here. And referees look more like clowns, I think, than they ever have before, incidentally. But you have this Chiefs game now where, you know, I'm not going to get Joe Rogany here, but I, I feel like if you are prone to believing that the NFL has a way to dictate games via officiating or influence gambling outcomes via officiating. You left Sunday night with a tinfoil hat on. And, and, and this isn't again, I, I don't think that this is the case, but you know, we are, you and I cover the NFL for a living, but in the real world, we are part of, Text message groups of avid fans who just happen to be our friends. And I can say that when I woke up this morning, the first nine texts I got were all of my friends sharing gambling memes, or there's one with Patrick Mahomes posing with the official and then them swapping jerseys after the yeah. game. Um, and so that is when you openly embrace gambling the way that the league has. This is what you're inviting in. And I think that there is a deeper skepticism and disbelief of officiating than there ever has been at any point in NFL history.
3: And by the way, that meme features Bill Vinovich, who did not work either game this weekend. So <laughs> yeah, poor it, Bill it, Vinovich, if you if you get your memes from Barstool Sports, uh, just know they're they're historically inaccurate And <laughs> in, in this case. Uh Yeah, I mean, the other one that came up, and it just looked absurd, I understand the sort of domino uh, effect effect that led to the do-over play in the Chiefs game, which was, uh, I mean, I don't know, man. I'm trying to think back. That might have been the most embarrassing officiating mistake I can remember. Uh, yes. I mean, I, I was a little kid when the fifth down game happened, uh, Colorado and, and somebody, I can't remember the opponent at this point, Baylor maybe. Uh, but yeah, that was brutal. And and I get it. And, and it was on Ron Torbert. It was his fault. He told the clock operator to start the game clock and the play clock on his wind, uh, which was incorrect. It was coming off an incomplete pass. I don't know why they were respotting spotting the ball by a half yard before that. I I... I mean, I don't know, man. I don't, there's just too much. There's certainly too much being put on their plate, but why are you respotting the ball a half a yard on a third and nine? If it's third and one and the half yard makes a difference, yeah, sure, go ahead. Let's let's be more exacting there. But it's third and nine, just do, um, unless the ball has moved three yards, just, just run the play if that's indeed what ended up being the uh, reason for that whole delay that led to the entire debacle. And yes, you could see on the replay, the, uh, you know, one of the back judges is running in, waving his arms, trying to stop the play. And you do have to do it over at that point as yeah. absurd as it looks, but that's just, it's just such a sloppy series of unforced mistakes by the officiating crew in the, you know, whatever the game that's tied for the second biggest game of the year. Yeah.
4: Yeah. Um, this uh, speaking of the ball spot I just had nowhere to say this but it's relevant so last week uh, during the Giants Eagles game um, you know I had the binoculars on and I was you know watching it was during a TV timeout and the official spotted the ball and it was like a third and manageable and I forget who it was <laughs> but a Giants defender just walked up to the ball and picked it up and moved it back half a yard <laughs> For, and then nobody did anything like nobody saw it. Stuff. Nobody <laughs> saw it. Nobody corrected it. And I'm just sitting up there like, is anybody seeing this? Like, does anyone care? And uh, nobody cared. But when, like when officials come out and they say, because I remember doing a story on this when uh, is uh, when Al Riveron first got the job as the head of officiating mm-hmm. And. He was like, well, you know, Connor, it's tough to officiate, but we get 97% of our calls accurate. And if you go to the NFL's homepage, they say that we get 90%, 97% of their calls accurate. The problem is who, and they say this is according to their own audit, internal audit. Who is going to dispute that, right? Who is going to look at that and say you're wrong? I mean, I, I don't know. I, I I don't I don't know the answer to that question, but I I can say with absolute certainty that if there was like a five thirty eight, how popular is this person poll right now? Um, it would uh, you know they would be very low on the ground. They would be like, what what do you think officiating? I don't know. My dad's an official, so he would he would give them a high approval rating because he knows how hard it is. But other than my dad, who's voting for these refs right now. I it's know like-
3: it's yeah, honestly, it would be single digits and we'll get into the 49er Eagles game, which there, there's not a ton to break down football wise. So I'm sure we'll talk about the uh, Devonte Smith, non-catch catch and, and that sort of stuff. And, and honestly, that crew got kind of hung out to dry to an extent uh by, by Park Avenue dropping the wall on that one. So there's just a lot of that was the frustrating thing. The the two things I think if you're a Bengals fan, you can be legitimately frustrated by the lack of holding calls on the Chiefs' offensive line when you also had that big sort of ticky tack pass interference call on Eli Apple. Like it, you can't have both of those things. Right. You can have a you can have a let them play type of game, or you can have a we're going to call everything type of game. You're probably going to get the. Uh, I mean, every every NFL team knows to expect uh, the let it pl- let them play approach. This time of year, that's ago why Bill Vinovich is doing one of these games. That's what his crew is known for. Uh, but yeah, it was the just the ridiculous administrative errors that uh, that threw this off. I, I guess as I think back, I guess the 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 most embarrassing play was the missed the miss pass interference call on Ram Saints a couple years ago. But uh, this one was up there, having to do a do over on a key third down in the AFC title game in the fourth quarter is uh is pretty bad.
4: Being at that Rams uh Saints game was one of the best moments of my life. Just complete and total chaos. Just absolute <laughs> absolute <laughs> bedlam. Oh well I still remember that. I still I, remember I still remember standing next to Nickel Roby Coleman and I was. It was like me and two other reporters, and he was like, "Well, let me see the play," and we showed him the play, and then he, and then he goes,
3: "Oh yeah, I got him." <laughs>
4: <laughs> oh, it was amazing. It's so it good. Was so
3: good. And I know you, like me, uh, have have just a heart of darkness, just just a black heart. Of this. It's kind of so much more fun when it happens to the home team. Yes, <laughs> And you just get all the infuriated people immediately mm-hmm. reacting. and so- You don't have to go to social media and see what people are saying. You're right there for the angriest people in the world uh, being upset about that. And you get oh, yeah. to kind of, you know, uh, be a jerk about it and be like, yeah, I have no rooting interest here. This is just funny. Yes. Oh, man. Uh, a couple of a uh, couple of rim notes on this. Uh, number one. I mentioned the Kadarius Toney injury. And by the way, the, the challenge at the beginning of this game was uh, pretty absurd by Andy Reid, only because it looked like... It, so, Kadarius Tony drops the touchdown. It, tough, tough catch. I don't want to overstate it. Like, he dropped it like it bounced off his chest. Uh, tough catch. Didn't survive the ground. Uh, it was really difficult to see because he was, like, on top of the ball. And the side judge was... was uh, Blocked on it. It was a tough call for the officials. I think they based the call on the fact that Tony got up and like started walking off the field like Charlie Brown uh, with, with like the sad music playing. And <laughs> they were like, oh, OK, well, he must have dropped it incomplete. And the Chiefs challenged it a minute later. And I just don't know what would have happened because I don't know if Tony like sort of very sullenly walk off the field. And then he was like, I caught it. And it's like, I don't know, usually you're, you know, waving your arms and throwing a fit if you think you caught it. Uh, That was super weird. But Tony was out and they missed him as a receiver, obviously. But Sky Moore ended up, uh, you know, the receiver ended up going back and returning punts again, which is something they got away from because he repeatedly proved unable to catch punts, which is which is an issue. Uh, earlier this season. So he's taking off punt return duties. He was back on it. And he ended up basically having the, uh, we're going to get to the other key play here on that drive. But uh, that was the biggest play that set up the game winning field goal was his 29 yard punt return there.
4: Yeah. Yeah. And a a great game by Sky Moore, by the way. Mm -hmm. Um, I thought that was sort of a breakout performance and did earn him a major shout out in my uh, Super Bowl predictions which are Mm on SI.com today. Uh, You, by the way, um, edited a just beautiful 911 Lone Star joke into my copy. (laughs) And uh, I just wanted to tell you live on the podcast that that was really
3: well done. And it made me smile. Um, It was my lone contribution to those 3,000 words.
4: (laughs) Um, yeah, I predict, I I think sky is one of those players that like, I mean, if Jarek McKinnon didn't break out the way that he did this year, I think you could have used him in the backfield a lot more. And I still think you might see that a little bit in the Super Bowl. I think that might be interesting challenge the Eagles, uh, horizontally a little bit.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And uh, obviously the the play that set up the field goal was uh, Joseph Asai, who, who played well in this game. Uh, mm-hmm. And I don't say that as like sort of a pat on the back type of thing, but if you were sort of listing the Bengals' top five players in this game, he was one of them. And obviously yes. he picks up the uh, unnecessary roughness call. Good call. I mean, it wasn't even like a quarterback or not type of conversation. Uh, Mahomes his almost his second foot was down on the white stripe by the time the push came. And I get the instinct that is taking over in that case where you're, you know, you see the first down marker and you're trying to keep him from getting, but the thing, I mean, man, (laughs) it's like they weren't in field goal range. Uh, There was the chiefs were maybe going to try and throw a quick pass to the sideline, get out of bounds and then kick a 50 something yarder. But, uh, that would have been like a 60 yarder from where they were on the field at that point. And man, what a, what a, what a bummer.
4: Yeah. I, I have to say this too. And, you know, nobody is, nobody's really going to care. Um, but it, it means a lot to me. And um, I think the fact that he talked after that game, uh, I give him all the credit in the world, like to step up in today's climate and to just allow yourself to be and, and again, I think a lot of the reporters, like if anyone wants to read like a good column on it, I think our columnist, Mike Rosenberg did a great job. Mm-hmm. Uh, he wrote about that. He was in Kansas city. I mean, I think a lot of us have more compassion and humanity than we're given credit for. Uh, but the players don't know that in that moment, you know, you've just done the worst thing. I mean, Let's hope to God this is the worst thing that ever happens to him in his life, right? Yeah. And and this is it. This is the worst moment. And you have to get up there, and you got to talk to people about it, and you got to be asked questions about it, and you know it's going to be clipped and played on every radio station and TV station and, you know, blah, 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 blah. But I, I think it, it deserves to be said that that guy, anybody who stands up and talks and, displays an ounce of humility or vulnerability in that moment. I give them a huge amount of credit. I think that's so hard to do.
3: Absolutely. Uh, Good for him. Uh, And before we move on to the other game, the last thing I was going to mention, I think the one predictable thing that happened in this game was like Chris Jones singled up on some of these Bengals blockers uh, was, was just a, just a monstrous mismatch. And in the same way Jonathan Allen needs a nickname in, in order to sort of up his uh, Q rating here, Chris Jones is on primetime a lot. We see the Chiefs a lot, so he's not quite as uh, undercovered here, but man, he is he's easily top five defender in the NFL, and uh, boy, did he play like it in this game.
4: Holy smokes. I mean, especially when he was lined up as an edge. He was yeah. just and, and it just goes to show like you think you need speed off the edge and quickness. And Chris, it's not that Chris Jones isn't fast, but like if he's just running in right at the quarterback <laughs> and he <laughs> just topples the other guy just over, m-
3: just move someone out of the way and not uh, be slowed down in any way.
4: Yeah, I mean, that's just as good. And uh, boy, now here's what you can, you know, you can do that against the Bengals. You can't you won't be able to do that against the Eagles. And uh, we'll talk a little bit about that because I, I charted lane versus Bosa in that game. And some of the stuff that they were doing, I thought was really interesting. And some of the stuff that I think they will do to Chris Jones in the Super Bowl. All
3: right. Before we, before we get to that, I I do just want to mention chiefs were impressive in this game. uh, And they won this game over a team that obviously had, had gotten the better of them the last three times. Uh, on a day when Patrick Mahomes is not 100%. Uh, they lose three wide receivers during the game, and uh, they also they had that ridiculous Mahomes fumble turnover that they lost that I thought Sam Hubbard might scoop up and run for another touchdown, which would have been pretty funny. But uh, there was, you know, we talked about some of the things that went in their favor. There was a lot going against them, too. Uh You know, a big picture and sort of individual play And to pull this game out was uh, quite impressive
4: It was, um, even though the NFL uh, is concocting a vast conspiracy To get the Andy Reid Bowl (laughs) into
3: (laughs) primetime The Andy Reid Bowl It's actually, it's cookie dough mixed with uh, crushed barbecue Pringles And then just... (laughs) Just a little uh little drizzle of bacon fat on top you can get it at participating wawas
4: that does it sounds amazing. I was driving home from the Eagles game last night, and the Eagles feed you well at the at the press box. I was stuffed, but there were at least thirty one wawa billboards for the grilled cheese the brisket grilled cheese and mm. And I was just like, oh, my God, I'm going to pull over and get one. Like, it, it, I was like, if I see one more of these, I'm going to make one of the biggest mistakes I've ever made in my life, which is to pull over at a Wawa at 1230 in the morning and eat a, a hot brisket grilled cheese. I didn't do it, but I almost did. Oh, it man. Was, yeah. it was.
3: Do you have, do you have any of those uh, brisket sandwiches sitting in the back at 1 a.m.? <laughs> oh, God. I'll take it.
4: I did that once. I left Arrowhead. I was at like a Chiefs, uh, one of the teams I was covering as a beat reporter back then. The Giants or the Jets played at Arrowhead. I think it was the Giants. It was a it was a prime time game, and the only thing that was open was like a Sonic in Overland Park at like two fifteen in the morning. And yeah. boy, was that a suspect meal? That was uh, that was not good. And I I was like, oh well, I'll be healthy, and I'll order like a a, a turkey and hummus wrap. And I was just like. Not thinking, like, when's the last time anyone has used any of these ingredients at Sonic? And uh, what am I about
3: to put into my body? You know? It was, <laughs> just, uh, it was tough you one. Just, you just got the display one they uh, keep in the window. <laughs> Heat it up. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip.
2: Hi, checking in for...
0: Or the perfect table.
1: Hey, where are you? Coming!
3: All right, so we go back to the early game here. That was the uh, the Eagles beating up on the remnants of the 49ers. I'm not even sure. Uh, there's a ton of football to get into, but uh, you have some some insights on the Nick Bosa approach that the Eagles took, which is obviously going to be uh, somewhat relevant with Chris Jones coming up.
4: Yeah, I so I charted Bosa versus Lane because I thought that's what I was going to write about initially um, and wanted to see what the Eagles had done. And super interesting, just sort of the chess match that was going on between them where Bosa was pushing Lane back um, and getting to um, getting to Jalen Hurts a couple of times. Um, But then it it was weird. It was almost like they were succeeding. They were succeeding. They were succeeding. And then what the Eagles would do is they would shift to something. They would do zone read. They would conflict him. They would invite him upfield. They would trap him. Uh, And sometimes it wouldn't work, but everything seemed to be kind of based around this idea of, you know, putting him in a situation of extreme discomfort. And the 49ers, I thought, so they they ran a couple of stunts where Nick Bosa would go hard inside and then, you know, whatever tackle he was playing with would loop outside. So Lane would have to switch with the guard. Mm -hmm. And that worked every time, every single time. And the 49ers only did it like four times. And I wondered why they didn't go back to that. Um, But a couple different things that they did, they kept kind of conflicting him. And that's what led to that, that Boston Scott, the read option touchdown where Bosa got sucked into the pack and then got knocked over. And then Boston Scott just had a very easy run into the end zone. Um, That was sort of the that was sort of the end game of a couple of the plays that they were running before to try to lure him into that false sense of comfort. But um, there was a couple of times, too, where the Eagles came out in that jumbo formation where they would move the other tackle over um to lane johnson's right and so there'd be be two tackles and then like a tight end right behind them and sort of like an up back formation and then they were just plowing them and so i thought it was really cool kind of an all hands on decky approach almost analogous to what they did the week before with jason kelsey and dexter lawrence where the eagles are just so good and jeff stoutland their offensive line coach shane Steichen, their offensive coordinator pinpointing the one guy that's going to give them trouble and then sort of ravel, uh, you know, what's the opposite of rav- unravel? How do you ravel?
3: No, is it ravel? You just, sure, you just ravel. I don't Can know if you that's ravel? correct. But yeah, let's just say you ravel.
4: They're going to ravel a game plan around it. Oh my god, is that a word? Are probably, we just tired?
3: Probably not, but let's let's make it a word. Let's do it today.
4: Um, r- well, I googled ravel and I'm getting... Maurice Ravel. He's a French composer. <laughs> um, well,
3: if, it, if, it, if anyone calls us on it, we'll be like, no, we knew it wasn't a word. We were uh, talking about the French composer and and his ability to uh, put together a composition of music.
4: Nope, nope. I've just, uh, I don't know if you heard this. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm hitting it on dictionary.com. Mm-hmm. Ravel, ravel. Uh, it's an intransitive verb. Uh I knew it. <laughs> um yeah. So we're good. Uh you can raveled, raveling. Uh yeah. Um synonyms would be um to bind, fasten, tie, wind, knot, entangle. There we go.
3: Yeah. So right. yeah, we we used it correctly. We got it. Oh, man. Good show so far. <laughs>
4: <laughs> Can you tell we're running on a
3: collective <laughs> six hours of sleep? Oh, man. So, uh, it, no, I, I'm glad you brought up the uh, the Boston Scott one. I, I couldn't tell on the broadcast uh, if Bosa jumped inside because he's expecting Dre Greenlaw to – Uh, to basically scrape and, and, and be responsible for contained on the outside, or it just looked like a lot of conflicted defenders. This, you gave the specific analysis. I'll give the broad, uh, barely considered analysis. A lot of defenders just constantly in conflict in this game. Uh, And you can go back to watching, you know, keeping an eye on the linebackers. Obviously, such a strength for this uh, 49ers defense. Uh, This was one of Fred Warner's, eh, most of his games are really impressive. So it's not really saying that much to say it was one of his worst games of the year because it was still probably pretty good. Uh, Dre Greenlaw had had a rough one, though, and... Uh, I didn't know if it was a result of that. I also wondered how much of the fact that Boston Scott is five foot six played into that uh, yes. touchdown run. Because once he popped out, it took everyone like a full second to realize he had gotten uh, he had broken contain and gotten out on the edge. But it was it's funny. It's like you obsess over Jalen Hurts and. You know, his mobility and his threat as a runner, and it constantly puts you in conflict. But it almost felt like the 49ers were almost like 55-45 more worried about Hertz running than the running backs running. And as good as Hertz is as a runner, like Miles Sanders with the head of steam is a much more dangerous runner at that point. And yeah, that's kind of how this one played out.
4: Well, because when you when you evolve the run pass option into the run pass run option, which the Eagles have done, and that's sort of their contribution to the football world this year. Mm -hmm. I think that's what you're doing, right, is you're just inviting another layer of fear and hesitation for all the defenders that you face. And I'm very, very happy that we get the long week between um, between these games, because now we get a fully healthy hurts. We get a I don't know. You think Mahomes can maybe get back to like 80 85% Yeah, after two I,
3: weeks? I think and and look, I think with with Hertz's shoulder, I think both quarterbacks will probably be, you know, somewhere in the 80 to 90% health range yes. and that's that's fair. That's yeah. fair for everyone. That's that's as good as we're going to get at this time of year. The, the 49ers, man. I the, there's not even a whole lot to say. Uh they they should I, the league is very reactive, so I'm sure they'll bring back the emergency quarterback at this point because it was kind of funny and a little bit of a curiosity when, you know, I, I don't know if you were hearing this in the press box, but they were kind of like, well, Christian McCaffrey is the emergency quarterback, so are we just going to see McCaffrey and Debo in the backfield and then they'll try to patch something together? That was fun to think about during like a commercial break, and then they started doing stuff and it was like wow this is awful (laughs) this is like the worst pop warner game and it's so sad that it's these just you know overwhelmingly talented guys and they just they don't have a functional offense anymore it was like watching the golden state warriors but they can only shoot out to like four feet and (laughs) it was just dumb unwatchable football and you could plug any sort of as we saw over the course of the year, perhaps, uh, you know, baseline competent professional quarterback in there and and probably gotten something out of this offense.
4: I think it's a big credit to D'Amico Ryans that this game was close for a long time. You know, yeah. uh, this game was close for way longer than it should have to the point where I always thought that they were just going to pop one of these runs and then all of a sudden – it was going to be over, you know, and uh, I, I don't know. I, I did not have any faith in the Eagles being able to punch the gas the way that they did. But, uh, you know, I've, I've obviously been wrong in the past and I was wrong there. But so there was this moment where. Uh, right when Josh Johnson started getting evaluated for a concussion, he starts getting evaluated for a concussion. Brock Purdy is in the medical tent, I think, around that time bosa is like limping off the field and then it was almost like it was cinematic like this the sun started setting like very rapidly and like the sky just turned like very like metallic gray and i was like oh my god this is this is terrifying um if you were a player like how do you not think that you're somewhat cursed a little bit um but it was weird that was Hassan Reddick hitting Brock Purdy and that was a game-changing moment at the time we had no idea how serious it was because we're following Brock Purdy to the sidelines with the binoculars and then he throws a little bit and it looks like he can throw so you think okay back to the game and we'll we'll check this out um and then all of a sudden He's st- standing by himself with no medical personnel. He's completely alone and nobody's even trying to get him back on the field. And at that moment, you're like, "Uh oh, like this is, you know, they've they're that quickly. They've identified some sort of a problem where it's beyond the point where they can get him back on the field and he tried to throw like three or four times and each time like Josh Johnson is just rocking the ball and it's that NFL velocity and Brock Purdy's just like yeah like it's like the um yeah the, oh gosh uh you remember rookie of the year
3: Yeah the, we've talked about that terrible movie yeah
4: you, uh, it's a great mo- no we talked about little big league
3: and then well we've
4: we've talked about rookie of the year yeah, yeah. It's the end. It's the end of the movie. It's the pitch that he throws at the end when he loses the strength in his arm, and then he yeah. he flips open the the lip of the glove, and it's the mom who was a good baseball player, and yeah. then she looks at him, and she's like, "It was me." That whole thing happened uh, with Brock Purdy, his mom. <laughs> the whole thing on uh, on Sunday, but that was like the velocity that we were getting on his throws, and it, it was so sad that we had to put him back out there for that, and. I don't know what. So you're anti emergency QB. You're no, anti reactivity.
3: And yeah, I'm just saying. So look, a lot of teams carry two quarter. You can sit here and say like, well, 49ers should have carried a third quarterback. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Um, maybe the third quarterback was going to go out there and get concussed on his second snap, and then we're in the same <laughs> uh, same right. spot. Uh, but there were a handful of games like I. You know, you think back to like the Dolphins when they played the Jets after the Tua Tonga Vailoa. Uh, Thursday night concussion, and Teddy Bridgewater gets concussed on, uh, or I should say, you know, they take him out of the game to check him for a concussion, uh, if we're being medically accurate, on the first snap. And then Skylar Thompson's out there, and you're just kind of think like, huh, Skylar Thompson, kind of a runaround quarterback, uh, what happens if he gets hurt? Then what? And <laughs> this is what. And so it was worth addressing a while ago. And again, I, I don't know why they limit to 46 on game day and and all that stuff but uh, you know I yeah I think the emergency quarterback is probably coming back in light of this game here
4: yeah Um, and it would just have this whole fascinating sub world right I mean I used to love asking about that was one of my favorite things each year when you come into a new year covering a team when I did the Jets and then the Giants uh you I loved asking about the emergency quarterback. Now with Rex Ryan's Jets, they always carried like nine quarterbacks, which made it ridiculous. And there was always like like Kevin O'Connell was their third quarterback for a very long time. Um and was like active a lot of times, if I remember correctly. Mark Sanchez, Mark Brunel, and mm-hmm. then Kevin O'Connell. Um, but the Giants, it was always like, Oh, who's the who's the emergency QB? behind ryan Nassib, and no one would want to tell you and that was like (laughs) they're just like oh no you don't need to know that and it's like well okay but always trying to find out who the emergency qb was was a fun was a fun thing
3: nice yeah there's a uh, look that the rule that won't come out of this that i and only i am advocating for is you should just be able to concede downs at this one like there should be a way that Nick Sirianni and Kyle Shanahan with 6 minutes left in this game can be like, you know what? Why are we doing this? What why are we, you know, Landon Dickerson gets hurt on a run in a 30-point game where the 49ers have zero chance of even scoring. I I mean, what's the absolute maximum number maybe they maybe they can score 10 points in 6 minutes and there's only like a 1000 to 1 chance of that happening. Like the game is mathematically decided. And there just has to be a way to get everyone off the field. And I don't think anyone would have complained uh, <laughs> to sort of get out of there and not have to watch uh, the uh, the final five minutes of that game. Uh, the other thing to get to here, and thankfully it ended up, well, not thankfully because of the reason it unfolded this way with all the injuries, but uh, it didn't end up having a huge impact. But the Devontae Smith fourth down non-catch catch, Uh, and I will continue to insist on this. Uh, People get on Kyle Shanahan for not challenging it. It is not the coach's job to also officiate the game. The entire challenge system is just the stupidest thing in every sport. Uh, It's the official's responsibility, and they are assisted by more officials who have the ability to view these things uh, with even more angles than we see. So, We as viewers at home, and I'm sure you guys in the press box, and also the 49ers coaches, did not see that replay that they showed later uh, that showed the ball was indeed incomplete. However, at Park Avenue, they do have immediate access to that replay. And did someone miss it? Uh, You could say if you are conspiracy-minded, perhaps they were like, well, the replay didn't show on TV anyway, so... There's nothing to fix. Like, we're only doing this for the sake of presentation to the audience. But you knew it was going to come out at some point anyway that, you know, the angle that showed that ball was dropped. It's just ridiculous. I It, it can't have. And that is one of those rules that uh, Park Avenue can weigh in and do the, ex, the expedited replay and overturn that uh, catch or non catch is something they can they can do. And I don't know why they didn't.
4: Uh, this is, we're gonna, we're gonna dovetail very quickly off the rails, uh, here. Um, but I was just thinking about like solutions that would make, uh, for just completely wild endings, uh, for NFL football games. If you were out of quarterbacks, like maybe you could have an option <laughs> where, um, uh, the Eagles didn't have the frisbee catching dogs this week, but like, <laughs> yeah. But like you could bring a Frisbee catching dog and what you would have to do is like in lieu of like a first down, like if it was like third and 10, instead, your coach would have to stand at the goal line and complete a 100 yard pass to a Frisbee to a Frisbee dog or something like that. Like that could be your vehicle to move the ball like there's like at some point in the post world, uh, post society, the NFL will break down into just a complete carnival of ridiculousness <laughs> and i'm here for that you know
3: uh, i'm here for the frisbee dogs jerry rice dog football video game was ahead of its time that's what we'll be saying in 30 years i agree The MMQB NFL Podcast is Connor Orr and me, Gary Grambling. We are produced by Shelby Royston. Mark Mravick is emeritus editor of the MMQB Super Bowl champion. Andy Benoit is the founder of the MMQB NFL Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to this feed on Apple Podcasts. And once you do, please leave a rating and review because it really does help other people find the show, which is also available on Spotify, Stitcher, SI.com, and wherever else you listen to podcasts.